0: Well, good morning, Grace Fellowship. Boy, look at you. Don't you look beautiful this morning? Oh, my. That's right. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm excited to be with you as we uh, continue in a little mini-series. You know what a mini-series is? A mini-series is what you have three guys together, and you tell them they can teach on anything they want to teach on, as long as it has a New Year's theme to it. So last week, we heard from Matthew Von Stein. Was that not an amazing word? Praise the Lord. Matt is a great man of God, and I am so grateful to be able to call him friend. And today I continue in this little series that we're calling All Things New. Um, Before I do that, though, I have a couple announcements for you. I don't know if I have, do we have slides for those announcements? There we go. Okay, so um, in the history of grace, we've done this in the fall, faith, promise, giving. But this year we decided to mix it up a little bit and wait to after the first of the year. If you've been with us, how many of you are familiar with Faith Promise Giving? Just show of hands. Most everybody. So I won't spend a lot of time on this. But this is a card that's actually in your uh, bulletin this week. And what we ask you to do every year is go before the Lord and pray about your giving here at Grace. Now, most of you know we don't talk about giving to Grace Fellowship Church a lot. I've don't know, i been to churches that, that talk frequently, like every week about giving. Some people say, you ought to talk more. Well, can I tell you something? We just believe that if we continue to trust God and preach the word of God and see lives change, that he'll provide the resources that we're called to have here. So every year, we just kind of remind people, say, please be praying about your giving at Grace. We take your giving very, very seriously here. We are stewards before God, and as elders, overseers, we go before the Lord, and we we really examine the ways in which we're walking. And so we want to ask you to take this card, pray, and then return the card on January 27th. All it does is ask you to fill out, like, your faith promise. This is not actually a promise. This is kind of um, what you're hoping in faith to give in the next fiscal year above what you're already giving. Then this gives us an idea of how to measure giving at Grace Fellowship Church. And I can tell you, in the 11 years of Grace Fellowship Church, giving every year has gone up. We have never seen giving go down in any year. Now, by the way, I'm saying that now, and God's saying, well, you might. We might, but we're going to trust him then, right? We're grateful with much, grateful in times of of, of plenty and few. So um, we wanted to point that out to you today. And again, please prayerfully consider that and return your card on January 27th. Okay, I think I have another announcement. Yes, all right, this is very exciting. How many of you were with us for our night of prayer and worship? Okay, well, a few people were excited. One was clapping. It's awesome. Yeah, Woohoo! you and me, we're going. So, um... You know, we, we really sensed God doing something during that time, not only in our night of prayer and worship, but then in our morning where we actually experienced that together. So we've decided for now that we're going to begin every wave of vision with a night of prayer and worship. And by the grace of God, we're going to end that wave of vision also with a night of celebration. So January 25th, mark your calendars. We're going to be back in here again. And we're looking towards a wave, an initiative on strongholds, spiritual strongholds. We're going to ask that you'd really come out that evening to be with us. Now remember, we're readying ourselves to enter into the region. This is a vision the Lord has laid on our hearts, and you're like, well, well when's it going to happen, Pastor Jeff? I don't know. Ask Jesus. I mean, he's in charge. Um, but I am meeting with Pastor Bob Reedy from Open Door Church this Tuesday at 1130. And I'm going to ask that actually we take a moment and pray right now for that meeting. Um, as I continue to reach out to pastors in the region, I am convinced that God has already prepared the hearts of certain pastors that I'm not going to have to convince of anything. They're just going to be ready to step into this with us together. Because remember, there's only one church. All kinds of different expressions, but only one church. And God wants to unify his people. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. Uh, We lift this initiative to you as all of your work, Father, is in your hands. And we pray for your perfect timing and your will to be done, your kingdom to come in our midst and in this region as it is in heaven. So, Lord, now we lift this meeting that you've orchestrated um, with Pastor Bob and pray, God, that you would make it clear to us if we are to sojourn together in a very different way than we are now. I don't even know Bob, but you know him really well, Lord. You know everything about him, and you know my heart. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in us to bring unity in your church. And I pray this all in the precious name of the one who gave everything, the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so like I mentioned, we're going to be talking um, about newness today. Um, how many people like new stuff? Right? Now, it's, sometimes new stuff's not so easy. Sometimes new stuff's wonderful. You know, if you have something that's worn out um, and you, it's not really functioning very well anymore, but you keep using it, and then you finally get something new, and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Thank you, God. I got something new now to replace the old. It's incredible. I got a new bench grinder last night. I'm so excited. It's awesome. Gentlemen, ho, ho, ho right, right? I'm sharpening up my lathe tools, and I'm like, why did I ever do it on a disc sander? Right, Bob? So I got something new, and I'm very excited about it. But sometimes new things can hurt. You know, sometimes I, I, um, I wear a pair of sho- shoes, right? And their leather is just so perfectly worn. But now they've got holes springing in them, right? And so you try and sew them up, but they're still springing leaks right and left. And you're like, I don't want to part with these shoes. And your wife is saying, but they're filled with holes. And so you put on a new pair of shoes, and you're like, doesn't feel like the old pair. But see, the new pair of shoes is going to serve you better in the long run than the old pair. But newness doesn't always come with comfort. Sometimes it comes with some pain and some struggle. Today we're going to talk about the new mercies of God every morning. Every morning the mercies of God. You know, I didn't anticipate landing in Lamentations 3 for a New Year's message. I really didn't. Lamentations is a book of lament. It's Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Do you know about this dude? Oh my gosh, his life was like tragic. I'm just going to share with you a few things about this weeping prophet. He was young when he was called, probably about 20 years old. You know, and he initially protested to God uh, about his youth, prohibiting him from actually doing God's will. Try that. You protest with God, right? God always wins. His ministry lasted through uh, Josiah's reign and then Judah's last four rulers. So he was a long-standing prophet of God. He wrote Jeremiah, Psalm 89. He wrote the last part of 2 Kings, and he wrote the book of Lamentations. Um, his life was probably the most trouble-filled of any Old Testament prophet that we have. Uh, Because of this, he's often referred to as the weeping prophet. And I want to just give you a few things. Early on, God told him that he was going to be rejected by everybody around him. How would you like that if you were born into the world, and God comes to you in early age and says, I've got a mission for you. And by the way, everybody around you is going to hate you. But let's get after it and you'd be like let's go God no you wouldn't sign up for something like that after preaching several years his own family and his hometown turned against him they despised him so much they plotted to kill him the chief governor named Pashu had whipped him and put him in stocks under Jehoiakim. he called for the people to repent and a mob of priests and prophet again tried to execute the dude Later on, the king actually threatened his life. He was ridiculed. He was accused of lying. He was held in prison by the Babylonians. He was released, and then he was kidnapped by some Jewish rebels who took him to Egypt against his will. And so when we read the book of Lamentations, we can identify with the heart of this man of God, because he is writing a book of lament. Now, how many of you have ever felt down? How many of you ever felt really down? How many of you have ever felt doobie do down down? <laughs> I have been in all those places. Now, welcome to Grace Fellowship Church. If you're new here, we're glad you're here. But a lot of people think that professional religious people should never feel down. Can I tell you something? That is a pile of horse chips. You know, every single one of us struggles with feeling down. Why? Because we live in a broken world. Why? Because we are sinful, broken people. But can I tell you something? There is always hope. Would you say that after me? There is always hope. There is always hope. That is what you need to know this morning. If you walk away with nothing else, I want you to walk away with this one thing. It's never too late with Jesus Christ for you to start again. Never too late. That is good news. That is really good news. The question is, do you believe it? Because see, if you believe that it changes everything about you, every moment with God is sacred. Every moment that you interact with another person is a moment of holy communion. Every time you get up out of bed, there is sacredness all around you because God is speaking to you and he's saying to you, my child, I love you. Let's start again. But God, I blew it so much. Hey, it's gone. Let's start again. But God, I, no, no, Jeff, shush, it's gone I love you, let's start again. I've used this illustration time and time again, but I'm gonna use it again just because I love it so much. How many of you have ever helped a child learn to walk? Well, on show of hands. How many of you, when the kid fell, did you punt them to the curb? (laughs) Now, if you did that, if you raised your hand, we're calling Child Protective Services. (laughs) Nobody does that to a child unless you're psychotic or deranged or something. You're evil. Like, you don't punch your kid to the curb when they fall. What do you do? You go, oh, honey, it's okay. And you pick them up and you brush them off and you say, come on, let's try again. I'll walk alongside of you. You can do this. I'm here for you. I love you. I'll catch you when you See, that's what people do with children. And God says, you who are evil want to give your children good gifts. How much more do you think your Father in heaven wants to give those who trust in him? You see, we have to understand something. Even in our brokenness, we show and reflect the image of God in the way that we actually care for and cherish little children. All of us are little children before God. And God is ready to pick you up no matter where you are and set your feet on a rock and say, let's start again. Because my mercies are new not only every morning, but every moment. I am the God of infinite chances because I love you. And because I am filled with grace. So we often look to this verse, yet I bring this to mind and therefore have hope. By the way, that's an amazing hermeneutic right there alone. Just that line, yet I bring this to mind. Do you know the scripture says you are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are to take every thought captive to Christ Jesus. As a person thinks, so is he or she. It is your thought life that controls the rest of your life. That's why you must be immersed in the spirit of God and the word of God among the people of God so that you can actually be transformed into the person that Jesus created you to be. So right now, your mental space is working hard. You may be thinking very hard about some of the things I'm saying. You actually may be thinking hard about some issues that you have at home. You may be thinking about something else, but you never stop thinking. Let's try it. Ready? Stop thinking. Now right now, you're thinking about stopping thinking. Your mental space is always working. And what Jeremiah says, yet this I bring to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Say this next line with me. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Now I want to give you some context to this little verse that so many of us are familiar with, right? We sing songs about God's mercies being new every morning. Many of us know that verse. But if you've looked at Jeremiah 3, you realize it's a reflection of a man who has had the crud kicked out of him. Listen, this is verse 1. I'm going to jump around a little bit because if I go through the whole thing, you just might want to walk out. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked like a bear, lying in wait like a lion and hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me, and he left me without help. He drew his bow and he made me the target of his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me into the dust. I have been deprived of peace and I have forgotten what prosperity is. This is dark. This is deep depression. And I know, statistically speaking, that a lot of us here have been to these kinds of places. I can tell you, as a man of 56 years old, I've visited these places. I haven't had the plight that Jeremiah had, but I've had my own plight. I deal with my own demons, I deal with my own struggles, my own wounds. And many, many times in my life, I've been to a place where I am so forlorn. I'm beyond dooby doo down-down. I'm like, God, I don't know what's going on here. Why is life like this? So in verse 18, we hear the answer. So I say my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped from, the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them well, and my soul is downcast within me. Now think about this. Jeremiah is saying, my splendor is gone. Do you know something that your splendor is supposed to go? Your splendor is supposed to go for the glory of God. Your glory is not supposed to be a part of your life. God's glory is supposed to be part of your life. And God has a million ways to humble you and me so that he is glorified in us. Now, most of us don't want to sign up for that kind of pain. We don't want to be humbled. We don't want to be told that we're sinful and that we're wrong and that we're broken. And yet God in his mercy and his love breaks our teeth with gravel. That's a hard word. But listen to what Jeremiah says. I remember them well, and my soul is downcast within me. And yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. You see, what happens when we're in the darkest of places, even a little ray of light that shines through catches our attention. And you, the Spirit of God speaks so quietly to you. The Spirit of God speaks to us through His Word and through His presence in our lives, and He just says things that are so quiet. The question is, are you listening? Can I tell you the truth about us? Sometimes we won't listen until we get low. Sometimes our pace is so incredibly fast, we will not listen until we get low. So a question you might have to ask yourself in your life is, God, How low do I have to go in order to turn to you? But Jeremiah says this, yet, it's like this little ray of light that comes through, do you hear it? Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of God's great love for me, I am not consumed. I'm personalizing this right now. Because of God's great love for me, I am not consumed. Because his mercies never fail, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. I say to myself, You are my portion. Therefore, I will wait for you. The Lord is good to those who seek, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly. For the salvation of God, listen, it is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. So, I asked you the question this morning. How low do you have to go before you hear from God? See, God is always speaking. The question is, are we listening? And when he does speak to us, it's always good news, even when it hurts. Why? Because God is love. Say that after me, God is love. You must understand that. You read stuff like this and you go, dude, like, is God really allowing all this stuff to happen to him? Yep. But that's not my God. Uh, yeah, it is. You don't get the choice who your God is. But that, that, that's just not fair. Uh, yeah, no, God's the fairest person there ever was. But wait a second, you mean God can be hard? Yeah, God can be hard. Why? Because he's God and you're not. And because we're sinful and he's righteous and holy and he makes a decision as to what comes our way. Now, he doesn't create evil. The scripture is very clear. God is not the author of evil, but he does allow tough things to happen to us. And we must understand this. For if we do, then we'll receive them As love. Folks, there's hard things in my life to to reconcile to love. Many of you know I lost my brother when I was 11. My brother took his own life. I found him after he had done that. It was probably one of the most horrible things that I've ever endured. It, It certainly was the most horrible thing I've ever endured in my life. Can I tell you how God has used that in my life? Oh, my. He leveled me from the time that I was 11. Now, he didn't cause my brother to do that, but he used it in my life to level me, to draw me to a level of dependence on him that I would not have had apart from that devastation in my life. I could go through the list of things God has done to me. I know they wouldn't compare to the list of things that have happened in some of your lives. And by the way, God has allowed some of these things to happen. He hasn't been the author of them, but he's allowed pain to come to me. When we allow that pain to do its work, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those of us who are trained by it. Jeremiah is in training. And I want to point out to you at least four transitions that I think we need to make this new year that will kind of help us better understand what it means to move according to God's will for our lives in such a way that we can better understand our pain, and that we can experience the fullness of God in our lives. Here's the first thing. We need to move from the urgent to the important. How many of you feel like there's never enough time to get everything done? Okay, I feel this way almost always. I felt this way this morning. You know, this morning I had on my checklist, I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna do a half hour exercise, I'm gonna make myself a good breakfast, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. Well, the exercise went out the window I'm still kind of groggy because usually I need to get my blood pumping for a good 30 minutes before I come in and talk to you folks. I feel like I got a little bit of sludge in my veins. I'm still here. Praise the Lord. But it seems like there's not enough time to get everything done that I think I'm supposed to get done. How much time did you get given today? How much time did you get given today? How about, how about you? Everybody gets 24 hours. So nobody has any more time than anybody else. Do you understand that? And God is the author of perfection. He has absolutely given you enough time to get done the things that he calls you to do. The question is, what is he calling you to do, and what are you not supposed to be doing? You see, because if you're going to follow God, you need to learn this very simple sentence. It goes like this. No. It's got a period after it, and it doesn't require further explanation. Can you say it with me? No. See, and you you have to say, yeah, I'm done. No. But Pastor Jeff, you're supposed to do that. No. Well, you're letting me down. No. Well, I can't believe what what a crummy pastor you are. Well, talk to God. Now, I don't know what it is for you, but there's a lot of expectations that get put on me as a pastor. But you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a boyfriend, you're a girlfriend, you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a work- worker, you're an employer, you're an employee. I don't know what it is for you, but you have a lot of expectations put on you. But what is God telling you to do? Because that's the most important thing. What is he telling you to do? You see, you must listen to him. It says, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Listen to the words of Jeremiah in the book that bears his name. This is uh, chapter 6, 16 in Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. The next sentence I hear, But you said, we will not walk in it. Now, when you look at Scripture, let me just teach you a little hermeneutic here. You look at that section right there, Jeremiah 6.16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. One of the first things you can do sometimes when you approach the Scripture is circle all the verbs. For those of us who failed English, that is the action words. This is what the Lord says. Our interests our interest, go right straight up. This is the word of God. By the spirit of God. Coming through a man who had the crud beat out of him thousands of years ago. And whose life was well lived for the glory of God. And the reason why we can read these words today is because God used this man. He uses you too. No matter how low you get, he uses you. This is what the Lord says. Here's the first verb, stand. How many of you like to stand still? (laughs) I don't know. I have the hardest time. I'm like one of those that just need to walk around, you know, whatever. But like the scripture is filled with the word stand. And here he just says, stand at the crossroads. What's that mean? Well, there's two roads crossing. There's different ways to go. Stand there. Don't just walk. Don't just run. Stand there. I remember years ago, one of my enlightened friends, I was in crisis, and you know, when you're in a crisis, like the room's on fire or something, this little phrase comes to mind often for people, don't just stand there, do something. You say that to people, right? The room's on fire, you're just standing there. Don't just stand there, do something. I was in crisis emotionally, and this this dear woman said something very bizarre to me that I'll never forget. She said, don't just do something, stand there. What did you say? I said, don't just do something, be still. See, that's not our inclination. Do you know, the human animal is the only animal, if you call us an animal, we're different than the rest of the animals, so I don't mean to insinuate that we're not, but we are created by God, just like the animal species, and when you look at the animals, they all have different patterns. Animals deaccelerate when they start to trip. Do you know that? So if, if a giraffe is running... It will actually deaccelerate or slow down when it starts to lose its footing. You know what the difference between giraffes and us is? We accelerate when we start to trip. Is that not stupid? <laughs> when we lose our footing, we actually start going faster. And God is saying, "Stop! Stand still. You're not God. I am. There's a crossroads in front of you, Jeff. Now look, it says stand, and then the next verb is look. Look what's there. Ask for eyes to see, Jeff, so you can see things the way that I see them. And he says, ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is. Circle both of those if you're in your Bible or whatever. But ask, ask, those are both verbs. So stand, look, and ask. Once you stand, once you look, once you ask twice, now walk. Now walk. See, most of us, we want to walk first and then ask questions later. God, why did I get to this place? Well, you never asked me before you started. How did I get to this place financially? Well, if you had just come to me, I would have told you how to spend my money. Your money, God. Yes, my money, Jeff. That's part of the problem. You see, if you'd come to me first then I would have showed you the ancient path. Then I would have shown you the good way. But now that you're here on your back, broken on the turf, now I'll show it to you. Because I love you. And my mercies are new every morning. Great is my faithfulness to you, Jeff. It's never too late to start over with me. Because I am the God of mercy and grace. And I have such compassion for you. Because I love you, I love you, I love you. And my love for you will never change, for my love for you never fails. You see, this is a God who is so unlike us. Because here's the thing, if you're in relationship with people, they eventually can do enough stuff to break up your relationship, amen? I mean, in marriage, if you're married to someone and they're unfaithful to you every day, ongoing, that's going to break your relationship up, that's going to mess you up. If you're in a friendship and they're constantly hurling insults at you, that's going to put some distance between you and that friend, so-called friend. I hope it does anyway. There's some here that may not be in that place. But, you see, things are going to build up in your soul, and they're going to get calloused, and you're going to get resentful, and you're going to push off, and God does not get resentful. God forgave you every single sin at the cross. He washed it all away. And, by the way, he's not dependent on you. You know, you have some level of dependency on the people around you, so you get very upset when they fail you. But God's not like that. He doesn't depend on you. He says, I love you. So come on, let me brush you off. Let's stand at the crossroads together. Jeff, now that you're in enough pain, you'll ask for the ancient path. You'll ask where the good way is, and then I'll help you to walk in it because my mercies are new every morning. Great is my faithfulness to you. I love you. Come on, let's do it again. But we must slow down in order to hear from God. I can't tell you everything that God's saying to you right now, but I can tell you a couple things about prioritizing your life. You're supposed to prioritize in things that are eternal. You invest in things that are eternal. And you use things that are temporal to invest in eternity. So you've been given a lot of temporal things. You have a house, you have a car, possibly. You possibly have some money in the bank. Those are all temporal things. It's called unrighteous mammon. That's what the scripture Jesus calls it. You're supposed to use that unrighteous mammon for the purpose of eternity. So here's what's eternal, relationship. God is eternal, and people are eternal. You invest in God and people, and now you're putting first things first. I want you to ask a a question of yourself. I've, I've been doing some kind of studying myself, not just for this message, but in my own life, for Casting Vision for the next season. Some of you here may have already reached your 80th birthday, so I'm going to ask you to look at your 90th birthday. If you're here and you reached your 90th birthday, then I'm going to ask you to look at your 100th birthday. My um, Aunt Betty just turned 100. I'm looking, hoping to go see her with Tracy in the next couple weeks. I haven't seen Betty in a long time. She's a dear woman. She loves the Lord, and I could cry just talking about her. But she broke uh, her wrist uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, she, the doctor said, well, she can't water her plants, but in time she'll be better. And I thought, in time? Gosh, she's 100 years old hope you're not listening, Aunt Betty. I mean, I'm sure you. <laughs> she knows she's going home. But, but here's the thing. She lived a good life. My dad, who died at 86, he lived a very good life. If you're going to live a good life, you have to keep first things first. You have to seek the Lord. And we have to invest in what's important, what's eternal. And so ask yourself this question. What kind of person does God want me to be on my 80th birthday? ask yourself the question, what kind of person does God want me to be on my 80th birthday? And you're like, dude, I'm already 70. Okay, you got 10 years, praise the Lord. Dude, I'm already 78. You got two years, awesome, praise God. I'm 56 and I've been mulling over this question. Can I tell you a couple of things that God has said to me? He said, Jeff, if I give you 80 years, which you don't know, dude, if you're even gonna get, but if I give them to you at 80, I want you to be so in love with me That my love is just splashing off of you everywhere you go. I love that. I want to leave a legacy of love to those around me. And at 80, I want to be so enthralled with the person of Jesus Christ. I am just so annoying to be around. You know, so like, so that's one thing. Like, that's that's it. That's the most important thing. Everything else flows from that. But I want to have godly and good relationships with my wife. Where are you, Trace? There you are over there. And my kids. There's Michaela over there. Got two more, and, and, and now I got a new daughter-in-law. And I want to have good relationships with my family and my friends. You see, I want those relationships to be godly and good. I want to invest in them for eternity. That means that I should be spending time with the people that are most important to me. You know, most people don't get to their deathbed and say, Boy, just wish I had spent more time at the office. I've never heard anybody say that. I've been with a lot of dying people. Pastor Mark, you've been with a lot of dying people, right? You ever hear anybody say that, Pastor Mark? Nobody ever says that. You know why? Because it's not most important. Question is, are you investing in your relationship with God in such a way that that relationship with God then pours out to the people around you that are the most important? Are you pouring into them what God is pouring into you? This is what the Lord asks you to do. And it's most important to us. And I want on my 80th birthday for my relationships to show and reflect the love of God in such a way that people unmistakably go, That's incredible. Now, look, there's only so much control we have over that. The scripture says, As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. So I know some are sitting here right now and they're thinking about broken relationships, and your heart's breaking because you're going, I really wish my relationship with my son could be that but he he won't participate. Look, son, daughter of the Most High God, God knows that about you. He knows your heart, and he also knows that person's heart. So you keep praying, and you keep your heart open and soft and receptive to reconciling that relationship because that's what God longs for. But it depends on that other person as much as it depends on you. The question is, are you investing? Are you investing in what's important? Now, there's other things that are important, God's given you a body. Your physical being is called your temple. Now, one day you're going to eject out of the temple. In the meantime, you're supposed to honor God with your body. So I think about my 80th birthday, and I go, God, I hope I can walk. I hope I can, like, bend over without, like, all this pain in my back. I hope I can do this. I hope I can do this. Well, then he says, get up off your rear and take care of the body. This is why I exercise frequently now. And I wasn't doing this before the stroke three and a half years ago. I'd let my hands off the wheel. I do it almost every day now, in some form or the other, because I want to actually be able to serve him well until I go home. Now there are things that we don't have control over, folks. You get cancer, you don't have control over that. You get other things you don't have control over that. But you do the best that you can to trust God, to take care of the temple. So that we can live well in this body God has given me. I want to be a good steward of my finances. You see, when I look at my 80th birthday, I I don't want to be rich monetarily. By the way, I'm already incredibly rich. I am. I'm so wealthy, it's unbelievable. I'm not talking about money, though. I'm talking about the riches of the kingdom of God. If you're a son or daughter of the most high God, you are incredibly wealthy. You just don't know it. And you're chasing after phantoms. You're thinking, well, you're not going to get wealthy. I'm going to get a whole bunch of money. No. Jesus said that stuff will mess you up. If you have a bunch of it, you've got you to be really careful. Do you know that people win the lottery, they go down the tubes? The vast majority of these people that win gazillions of dollars, I don't even know how much it is. First of all, the IRS takes like 60% of it. Yay, go government. Go government. But even when you get like a 60% hit, you're left with gazillions of dollars. And you know what happens? Within months, they go down the tubes. Why? Because money is not what they need. We need Jesus. And see, Jesus has to be the most important thing. And when we get more money, unfortunately, we turn our focus to money. And you're like, Jeff, I don't have a whole lot of money. We don't have to have a whole lot of money for money to have you. You can be dirt poor and still let have money have you. Why? Because you're chasing after money all the time. And you're thinking that somehow, if you just get enough money. Who was it that said it? Was it uh, Hughes? What's that guy's name? Was it Howard Hughes? He was a really wealthy guy, right? They asked him, how much money's enough? And you know what he said? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. You see, we have to choose what we invest in today. Now, look, I want to give you a little word about money here and Jesus talks about this whole thing of keeping first things first and I'm going to read to you from the book of Matthew so stop worrying about what we'll eat and what we'll drink or what we'll wear for the pagans run after these things and you know um, your heavenly father knows what you need he's saying like I got your back listen but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and then all these things will be added unto you Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I just love Jesus, don't you? You know why? Because the vast majority of worrying that we do either has to do with the past or the future. Write down, try this, a little journal, write down all your list of worries, and just cross off everything that has to do with the future. And cross off everything that has to do with your past mistakes. I'll tell you, your list will be a lot shorter. And Jesus says, focus on today. But what he's also saying here is don't get obsessed with turning over new leaves financially so that you can profit and build barns and get more, you know, hay in them or grain in them or whatever. Our culture is obsessed with material wealth. And my dad, he was a wealthy, wealthy man in the spirit. He didn't have a lot financially, but he was a great man. I wouldn't trade my dad for any dad in the world. He was dysfunctional like we all are, but I love my dad. He'd always say things to me, real small things. He'd say, it's okay to have money, as long as money doesn't have you. I didn't know my dad was speaking the words of Jesus at those times, but he was. I want to read you a story that helps you understand a little bit the difference between commerce and community. The difference between the focus of someone who understands that life is about people and not about bucks... If you're in a multi-level marketing thing right now, please listen very carefully. This is for you. It's for others, too. In a shady corner of a great market in Mexico City, there was an old Indian named Patalamo. He had 20 strings of onions hanging in front of him. An American from Chicago came up and asked, how much for one of your strings of onions? Ten sets, said Patalamo. Well, how much for two strings? 20 cents was the reply. Well, then how much for three strings? 30 cents was the answer. Well, not much reduction in that, the American said. Would you take 25 cents? No, the Indian said. How much for your whole 20 strings, said the American? I would not, tell you, I would not sell you my 20 strings, replied Pabalamo. Why not, said the American? Aren't you here to sell your onions? No, replied the Indian. I am here to live my life. I love this marketplace. I love the crowds. I love the red syrups. I love the sunlight and I love the waving palmettos. I love to hear Pedro and Luis come by and say buenos dios and talk about their babies and the crops. I love to see my friends. This is my life. For that, I sit here all day and I sell my 20 strings of onions. But if I sell all my onions to one customer, then my day has ended. I have lost the life that I love, and that I will not do. You see, I read a book by this guy named Ken Geyer, who's like one of my favorite authors recently, and he told this little story in here, and he made the point that he read this story, and he goes, I think that dude's more of a Christian than I am. And he was parking the fact that actually this Native American, Henry knows about his faith. I know nothing about his faith. He could have been a believer in Jesus Christ. But there was something so resonatingly true about this truth that this man chose community over commerce. He didn't look at people and say, there's an opportunity to make a dollar. He looked at people and he said, there's somebody I have the opportunity to love. Do you look at people that way? Is your life measured in the success of having relationships? Are you willing to sell all of that, your whole 20 strings of onions, and forsake what's really important? No matter what business you're in, we need to start thinking about Darls and Stents and start thinking about God and people. That's the truth. We must reorder our lives and put first things first. God and people. Now, look, we're going to move through these other ones rather quickly because I know my time's running short, And I want you to understand that if you wanted this transition, you have to move from being a human doing to being a human being. Now, look, you are called a human being. But most of the time, you function as a human doing. Human beings are actually beings that be. They learn to sit still, and they learn to wait patiently for God. How many of you like to wait in the grocery store? Not a one. Nobody loves waiting in the grocery store? You don't mind. Praise the Lord. Come up and give your testimony. I'm only kidding. <laughs> but see, that's beautiful. I don't mind. Why, Cal? Everybody has to wait for something. Yeah. Because <laughs> you've waited on people. You know how impatient people can get. Yep. Amen. You do not want to inflict that on folks. You know the times I don't mind waiting is when I see that standing in line is a sacred opportunity before God. You know why? Because there's people around me. I went to a woodworking show this weekend. It was great. But before I went, you know, because I, I love tools. Anybody with me? Oh gosh, I just want a new tool every week, right? But I can't, right, Trace? Right. But see, that part of me that love tools can be my flesh. Especially if I love tools more than people and God. And so I'm going off to this woodworking tool, and God says, psst. I'm like, what, God, I'm going to get to the show. He's like, psst. He's like, this is about me and people. I said, "Well, well, okay, what do you want me to do? Just tell people I love them. Just tell people that I'm here. And I'm like, dude, but I'm looking at tools. It's not about that. So you know what, one of my biggest joy was at this show on Friday, and I'm walking around with a buddy here in the, in the, in the body. i just walking around to people, and I kept a conversation about, like, you know, woodworking and connecting with them. I just look in the eyes and I say, hey, God bless you, man. God loves you. And some people looked at me like I had three heads. And other people were like, thank you. Thank you. You see, it's not about commerce, it's not about getting stuff, it's about you being used by God to show people his love. And we must, must, must slow down and wait for God. It says here, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope in his him. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There still may be hope. I want you to know something. There is something sacred at stake in every moment of your life. A sobering truth. And if it's true, it changes everything. The question is, are you listening? Are you reading the moment and hearing from God in every moment and responding to that moment in a way that you understand what God is saying to you. There was a French Jesuit that lived in the 17th century. This is what he said about those who listen well. Those who have abandoned themselves to God always lead mysterious lives and they receive from him exceptional and miraculous gifts by means of the most ordinary natural and chance experiences in which there appears to be nothing unusual at all. The simplest sermon, the most banal of conversations, the least erudite books become a source of knowledge and wisdom to these souls by virtue of God's purpose. Now listen carefully. This is why they carefully pick up the crumbs which clever minds tread underfoot, for to them everything is precious and a source of enrichment. You see, those people of God pick up the things that the world just tramples on, and they go, oh my gosh, look what God is doing here. But we must slow down in order for that to happen. And you go, Jeff, you don't understand. I have 10 kids. I have this. I have that. I have it. It's like, I don't understand your life. You're right. I don't at all. But may I suggest that if your pace is so fast you have no time for God that you're actually trying to play God? I know it's true about you. Why? Because I know it's true about me. If you have no time for God, you are acting like God. And can I tell you, there's a lot up for grabs with God. He's very flexible when it comes to a lot of things. But his job is not up for grabs. He is very good at being God. And you are not. I am not. So you must slow down. Smell the coffee, man. Time to wake up. There's a world of beauty around you, and God is screaming through this world of beauty. He's saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. Here's some ideas. Slow down and read God's word. It's the primary way in which you'll hear from him and pray, God, reveal yourself to me through your word. You see, you spend time with him in that way. But here's another way you can hear from God. Have a cup of coffee with your spouse. Take time to be with a family member or a friend. Get out in nature. Go for a hike, man. You believe it. You go out there and look in the woods. There is so many miracles. It's incredible. Have you looked at a piece of wood recently? I know I'm a little bit on the wood thing, but just go with me here. I mean, we were joking about smelling it and, and, and you know, all this kind of stuff. And like, it's incredible if you look at these patterns and you go, oh my gosh, there's a universe in there. You go, nobody could do that but God. And you know what happens? You go right to a place of worship. You know, find an author that heart beats with yours. I just mentioned Ken Geyer. You know, Ken Geyer is one of these authors in life that heart, it just, his heart beats with mine. And I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but I'm going to tell you now, like, I had met Ken once down in Baltimore years ago. He did, a, like, a talk down there with 1,000 people or whatever. And I, I went up to him, introduced myself, and I said, man, I, I just love your writing. Thanks so much. Gave him a hug. And it wasn't a long thing at all. And so about years ago here, I don't know, probably six years ago, I think it was, I, I was getting ready to take a sabbatical, which is something pastors get every seven years, just hint, hints coming up in a little while. But um, you get three months off. And so, uh, off to kind of devote yourself to the Lord, not just to go water skiing and stuff, although water skiing's fun. But um, so, I had packed up my scripture, you know, I had all my tomes of theology that I was going to read, but I had like books, people that resonate with my heart. And I probably had four Ken Geyer books out of like six books that I was going to read over three months. Four of them were Ken's books. And I was just like ready to dig into this stuff. I just love the way he writes for God, for Jesus. And so, my last Sunday here, I wasn't preaching, and I'm walking out into the foyer there, and Tracy comes walking past me, and she goes, hey, Jeff, did you see that Ken Geyer's here? And I'm like, Ken Geyer's here? What are you talking about? It's not Ken Geyer, honey. She said, no, Jeff, Ken's Geyer here. I'm like, honey, you must be messed up. Ken Geyer's not here. And she, and she said, no, he's here. And then Ken Geyer walked up to me. And I'm like, Ken, what are you doing here? He's like, Jeff, I just thought I'd come up and see you. And I'm like, What? He said, yeah, just the Lord laid it on my heart to come up to Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury and see you today. I got to sit down with Ken Guy for an hour and a half. And you know what? He was in a really deep place. He was in a Jeremiah place. I got to minister to him for over an hour. And when he walked away, I said, God, what was up with that? He said, Jeff, I love you so much. And I am the God who orchestrates miracles. I am the God who paints pictures that go unnoticed by so many people. But those who notice them are left in awe of who I am. You see, you you gotta read a book. You gotta get out in nature. You you gotta paint pictures. You gotta write stories. Make pens, I don't know, do something, right? Like, Like you have a one and only life to live and it's passing you by and you're too busy to notice how beautiful it is. God is saying, stop. I'm trying to sing songs to you. Would you just be still long enough to listen to me? Because if you do, you will be moved by me. We've talked about this already, and I won't spend a lot of time here, but you can't expect the journey to be easy. You're not promised a rose garden. It's true. The journey is a hard one, And the journey is filled with pain. The life of Jeremiah paints that picture well. We know it. But his life was well lived because we're reading the words that God wrote through him thousands of years ago. That was a life well lived. The legacy, though, came through a lot of pain and a lot of tears. How many of you want a more joyful life? More joyful life? How many of you want a more godly character? How many of you want to leave a legacy of a godly life behind? How many of you want more pain in your life? Isn't that amazing? Nobody, uh, nobody wants more pain? Uh, pain's a gift, and we don't know it. Modern writers look at pain as evil, and it's something to be avoided to at all costs, almost calling God into question for the very existence. Well, you can explain to me how your God exists and all this pain is in the world. However, in earlier centuries, theologians didn't accept, they didn't see things that way. They accepted pain as a natural part of life. And a reminder that we were not at home yet. You are not home yet. If you're in Christ Jesus, one day you will be home. Right now, you are a foreigner in this place, and you have been sent here on mission. This is a battlefield you are in. This is a place where you get bloodied and get beat up. And one day you go home. You're not home yet. You think you'd prefer a world without pain? Ashley Blocker, she's a teenager from Patterson, Georgia. She was born without pain receptors. She literally can't feel any pain at all. She lives in a world where she doesn't know if she's being attacked by a colony of fire ants or being stung by wasps. She doesn't know that at all. What about one of the oldest diseases recorded in medicine, leprosy? Leprosy is a long-term infection. I'm not a doctor, but I've done some research on this. Book by Philip Brand and Philip Yancey, Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey called Pain, The Gift That No One Wants. Paul Brand, who's a doctor, he thought this, this disease, long time, was very mysterious because it called these massive sores and it resulted in fingers and toes falling off, or at least they thought. We know today that leprosy results in a lack of ability to feel pain. Unless the loss of the parts of extremities due to repeated injuries and infections due to unnudished wounds, people were just banging into stuff and they couldn't feel anything and they'd knock a toe off, knock a finger off. Leprosy affects the nerves that send pain sensation to the brain. If those nerves do not work, then the individual does not recognize if there's a pressure sore, an infection, or a trauma anywhere on their body. Now, Brand witnessed this in his patients, but what he couldn't understand was that some of his patients would go to bed at night, and they would wake up in the morning, and they would be missing digits. This is going to get a little bit gross and a little raw here, so hang on. After researching and studying many of his patients, he discovered the problem. Rats. Rats were entering the patient's rooms, and at night, they were gnawing off their fingers and their toes. Without any pain sensation, the patients would just sleep through the night and wake up to discover that they had missing appendages. Listen to me. People who suffer from leprosy would love to feel pain. Pain is a gift that something is wrong. And pain is used by God to draw us closer to the great physician, Jesus Christ. God uses pain in our lives to wake us up to the reality of our desperate need for him. The life of listening to God is attentive, receptive, and responsive to what God is doing in us and around us. It's a life that asks God to reach into our hearts, allowing him to touch us there, regardless of the pleasure that it excites or the pain that it produces, because God is God. And he will allow pain in your life, but he'll use it for your good, for God uses all things to good for those who love him and are called according to your purpose. You see, we need to move from the urgent to the important, from doing to being, from expecting life to be easy, to accepting that it's somewhat painful. You say this little phrase after me. I haven't used it for a while. Pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. You get to choose whether or not you become miserable. How many of you at 80 years old would like to be a bitter old person? How many of you think that's a possibility for you? (laughs) Raise your hand now. (laughs) Look, that's why we need to move from this disrespectful consumption to reverent submission because if you're in a place where you're just consuming all the time and expecting all these things from God and the people around you, you are going to become bitter. But when you reverently submit to God's will in your life, every morning his mercies are new and they dawn on you and you see the new day as a gift. We should greet that day with the attitude of expectant reverence as one kneeling to receive a sacrament of holy communion, which is truly what it is. God is speaking to you. He's throwing precious jewels your way. The question is, are you trampling them underfoot or are you seeing them for what they are? And receiving them with a grateful heart. Jesus said in Matthew 7 6, Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs, for if you do, they will trample them underfoot. Now, look, I don't think Jesus necessarily calls people pigs, but the illustration is clear. A farm animal does not know the value of a pearl. Do you? Do you know the value of the riches of the kingdom of God? And do you see them for what they are? And when they are there, they're seen by the rest of the world as crumbs on the ground. But do you pick them up and go, oh my God. Thank you for this interaction with this person in the grocery store. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for speaking to me through that tree. Thank you, God, for my spouse. Thank you for my children. Thank you for this moment, and though it's even painful, God, you are right at the center of it, and I trust you to continue to refine me because, God, you love me with a love that never fails. Let's stand together and close in prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team to come out. I know we're right at time, so I'm gonna ask if you wanna to, um, depart today and get your kids right at the 10.30 mark, you can do that, but we'd love for you to stay and worship with us with one final song. God, help us to know there's something sacred at stake in every moment. That, that is a t- sobering truth, God, and we know it's true and it changes everything about us. So Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. Help us to listen to your voice, to choose what's most important over what's urgent, to be with you in spirit and in word with your people and your creation, to expect this journey to include some pain, God, but to know every single bit of it will be worth it as you continue to refine us and mold us and shape us. And Lord, help us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your love for us is real, you will never leave us nor forsake us and that you choose to use all things for good in our lives because we are called according to your purpose we thank you Lord Jesus for your faithfulness we pray this all in the precious name of the one who gave everything the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said Amen. amen let's sing together